Hello there. Welcome to another life transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwe Tachero. I'm reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If we could stand for the reading of the word, it would be amazing. It would be fantastic. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The Bible says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak today on the subject inner well-being. Inner well-being. Remember, we are looking at the scope of a shift, and I want us to look at our inner well-being, which is necessary for us to experience a shift in our lives. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this moment that you've granted to us. We open our hearts to receive from you. I pray for oil from above to anoint my lips, to take hold of my faculties, even as I preach and I teach your word. I pray, O oh God, that may your anointing come down and may your spirit hover over this place as he did in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Let miracles take place. Let signs and wonders be unleashed in our lives this morning, even as we sit around your table to feed from the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray and we all shout a big amen. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. Now, by now, you know that you are a trapatite being, which simply means that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you also live in a body. So you are a spirit, you possess the soul, and the soul is made up of the mind, the will, and emotions, and then you have the body. The body is where we find the five senses. Now, you need to understand that when, 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 there, is, um, when there is a weakness or when there is an attack, or when you're affected in one of these areas of our lives, your entire being is going to be affected as well. And I want us to zero in on the soul because the soul represents our inner, our inner being. The soul is that part of our being that contains our mind. You can see it, but it is there. It contains our will, which is the ability to make decisions. You can see it, but it is there. And, 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 and it also contains our emotions, how we are able to express ourselves depending on what we are faced with. So all these three constitute our inner being. And it is important for us to be healthy internally if we are going to experience a significant shift in our lives. Let me submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the wounds of the soul affect you. The wounds of the soul affect your mind, affect your ability to make decisions, affect your heart, and even affect your emotions. The wounds of the soul you know, affect how we feel, how, and determines how we make decisions, how we relate with others, and even how we serve God. And that's why it's important for us to talk about our inner, our inner well-being, so that we may be healed, and this will contribute to a significant shift in our lives. There are people, because of what they went through, they have become an emotional wreck. They are harboring, you know, wounds, internal wounds. And these wounds have greatly impacted their lives negatively. Now, let me just break it down for you so that you understand what I'm talking about. People with internal wounds demonstrate the following things. 
For example, they are stuck in misery, resentment, pain, and despair. They are stuck in misery, resentment, pain, and despair. They keep on rehashing a nasty past which brings to the fore their misery, their bitterness, their pain, and you can see that they are hopeless. People with internal wounds also lash out in anger. They have outbursts of anger. They vent without warning. I mean, you can just be seated, you're talking, you're having a wonderful conversation, and then somebody just explodes without warning. And it is a reflection of internal wounds. It's a reflection of hearts, pain that is harbored in their hearts. People, who with, people with internal wounds also struggle with trauma and seem weighed down by the, by the pain they carry in their heart. They have traumatic episodes because of what they carry you know, inside of them. And you can see that they are weighed down by the pain. The pain has become a huge burden on their shoulders. And they don't seem to move on. They keep on, you know, talking about this thing that is on their shoulder, on their back, that doesn't want to let them go. People with internal wounds also love to manipulate and control other people using their pain. They will always play a victim and they will always want to use their pain to control you or to manipulate you. I don't know if you have ever experienced such people. I mean, even when they need to own up to their mistakes, they will always, they will always you know, use their pain as an excuse. When they do something wrong, or when they want to get something out of you and you say no to them, they will bring up their pain to try and manipulate you and control you. Or they will try to show you that you're just like any other person who came into their lives and hurt them. So, and, and they will tell you, I thought you were different. But I've realized you're just like my excess. Isn't it? They're trying to manipulate you with their Pain. Touch your neighbor and tell, tell them, get over it. <laughs> People with internal wounds also keep losing what they have. They can't keep a job. They can't keep, you know, a business. They can't keep friendships. They can't keep a marriage because of the pain that they carry. The pain keeps on repe uh, repelling the people that are trying to come into their lives. When they get a job, they lose it. When they you know, become, you know, a friend to someone, that friendship doesn't last for long because pain is always there. And such people, they are always looking for a nurse. They are not looking for a wife. They are not looking for a husband. They are not looking for a friend. They are looking for a nurse. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I cannot be your nurse. They are looking for a nurse who can medicate them 24-7. You're looking for somebody who can be prescribing medicine for them all the time. You can't be sickly all the time. Even in the physical, at some point, the medicine should work. Come on, talk to me, somebody. Yeah, if you go to the hospital and you're giving medicine, the doctor is hoping that the medicine will help you. And if you keep on coming back with the same malady, the doctor will get concerned. So you must be healed. You must get better. And it is a good thing, isn't it? Hallelujah. Touch your neighbor and tell them, be healed in Jesus' name. People with internal wounds also withdraw a lot from people. They don't want to be in groups. They don't want to be in departments. They don't want to be in CMGs. They don't want to work with others. You know, they don't want to collaborate with others, serving together. They like, they like withdrawing themselves from people. Such people, they don't even want to belong to a church. The moment, you know, somebody shows them, shows interest in knowing them, it's a cue for them to move to another church. They prefer big churches where they can go and hide because they don't want anybody to see what they are going through or what they went through. They don't want anybody to see their pain. They love 
isolating you know, themselves. They stand aloof. They don't want to work with others. They don't want to connect with others. They don't want to be known and they don't want to know anybody. Such people are very, very you know, um, private in a way. They have closed themselves. You can't even know where they live. You can't even know where they work. It's a very interesting thing. And some of them, they enter even relationships, and it's very difficult for people who are in a relationship with them to even know where they work or where they live or if they have a brother or a sister or if they were even born. Because they, 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 they behave in a manner to suggest that they fell from the skies. You know, so they don't want to really connect with people. You know, ask your neighbor for me, do I really know you? And do you really know me? Such people are very secretive. Look, most of the people who are secretive are nursing wounds. Hey, it's quiet. They are nursing wounds. They have internal bleeding. You understand what I'm talking about? And they don't want anybody to see their wounds. They don't want anybody to see that they are bleeding inside. They, are not, they don't want to be vulnerable to anyone. They don't want to be exposed to anyone. They will protect their wounds at all costs. Cover themselves. You know, use everything within their power you know, to cover uh, themselves. And they isolate from people. They don't want to work with anybody. Very strange people. Very, very strange. You don't know where they are happy or when they are sad. Very strange people. Turn to your neighbor. They never turn to their neighbors. Very strange people. Let's stand and pray the last prayer. They leave before the prayer is finished. Very strange people. And such people are not in this congregation today. I'm preaching about people who didn't come to church this morning because of the bad road. I hope. People with internal wounds are even desperate for love. Very desperate for love. And they are addicted to acceptance. They are desperate for love and they are addicted to acceptance. And they can stoop too low to get it. They can stoop too low to get love. They can stoop too low to get or to be recognized or to be accepted. They can stoop too low, you know, to be admitted in a clique or in a group. They can do anything. They can compromise to be accepted. They are desperate for love. And if anybody is willing to love them, they don't care if he has character or not. They don't care if he's a crook or not. They don't care if he's a drug dealer or not. All they are looking for is love. And if they can find it in a wrong place, they will still buy it. It's because of the wounds that they are struggling with. The wounds are pushing them to a place where they become desperate. Desperate for love. It doesn't matter who is loving them. So long as the person says, I love you, they like it. And then they are addicted to acceptance. They want everybody to accept them. Look, I am not old and I'm not young either. And I've realized that not everybody will accept you. Look, you can even lie low like a flat envelope to try and be accepted. But people will still work on you. I am telling you, they will turn you into a doormat and walk on you without a tinge of remorse. So you can't be, accept, you can't be accepted. You will not be loved by everybody. In fact, one of, the, one of the ways of not being loved by anybody is by doing something significant. When you become a leader, if you want people to hate you, become a president. Win an election. Become a governor, become an MP, become a president. People will hate you. There will be people who love you and there are people who will hate you. I mean, I was looking at this woman who was being impeached for the second time. And I was watching the proceedings, you know, in the Senate. I couldn't believe. When they were playing some videos, I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe the hatred people can have. And I couldn't believe that people can stand and use some words because of hatred. Yeah? And because she's a woman. And they can use some words. I cannot even say, I mean some words that I, I cannot even mention. I couldn't believe it. And this is somebody who has a wife. This is somebody who has a daughter. But the hatred I'm telling you, the hatred 
simply because a woman defeated them. I'm telling you. We should pray for men from that region. I mean, they cross the line. They really cross the line. That is somebody's mother, that is somebody's grandmother, that is somebody's sister, that is somebody's daughter. You have no right. You have no right to violate her with words. That was wrong. I know you can't clap. I know you are not, because you see. <laughs> hatred. So you can't be loved by everybody. At some point, people will hate you, especially when you rise and you do something significant. All this reveals something that people are struggling with internal wounds. People have issues, internal issues. You might not see them printed on their foreheads, but these can be signs that somebody is struggling with internal issues. Paul's prayer in First Thessalonians, and I repeat, he says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, somebody shout spirit, soul, somebody shout soul, and body, somebody shout body, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What God wants is for you to be healed he doesn't just want your body to be healed. He also wants your soul to be healed. God wants to heal the deep-seated emotional issues in our lives. God's desire is for you and I to be whole. Your spirit is regenerated. Your body is healed. But also your soul is healed. Because ladies and gentlemen, inner health completes the circle of our prosperity. I need to say that again. Inner health completes the circle of our prosperity. The prosperity of the soul completes the circle of prosperity in our lives. That's why the Bible says in 3 John chapter 2 that, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So that means there is a direct correlation between the prosperity of our soul and other aspects of our prosperity. It is not just enough for you to prosper materially. It's not just enough for you to have money, a lot of money. And we thank God for having a lot of money. You will have a lot of money. You will be wealthy in the name of Jesus. But it's not just enough for you to have material wealth. You also need to prosper in the soul. You need to have inner health. You need to be healed internally because inner health completes the circle of our prosperity. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the use of having wealth that you cannot enjoy? What is the use of having a lot of money but you cannot sleep at night? What is the use of having big cars that you can't even drive? What is the use of having 10 by 10 size of a bed and you can't sleep. Do you have 10 by 10? Maybe you should make one. What is the use of having a nice orthopedic mattress, but you can't lie flat on it to sleep? What is the use of having wealth, buildings, all these things, yet you don't have a sound mind? You have palpitations every night. You are stressed. You are living in fear. You have inner turmoil. You are tormented inside. There is no peace. There is no tranquility. There is no real joy. What is the use of having all these things? And you lack inner health. The Bible says, beloved, I pray, I wish above all things that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God wants you to experience inner prosperity. You cannot shift to the next level if you are still grappling with internal turmoil. Your mind is not at rest. Your heart is not at rest. Your soul is fragmented and not at rest. You can never experience a significant shift in your life if you don't have inner health. 
I pray that by the time I'm done with this message, you will desire to have inner health in the name of Jesus. You see, there is a man who was so rich. He was so blessed. He had power. His name is King Saul. He was the king of Israel, the first king of Israel. And so as a king, I'm sure, I mean, wealth was at his disposal. Power was at his disposal. Soldiers were at his disposal. If he needed a soldier to do something for him, I mean, all he needed to do was to issue a command. This guy was living in opulence because he was living in the palace. So food was not a problem, you know, for Saul. Until one day, a boy came on the scene by the name David. And this boy, David, I mean, he grabbed national headlines. He was at the top of all the newspapers in the country. Because what he did was amazing. All the women in Israel composed songs to praise David. And they were not composing the songs to sing in front of David. They were composing the songs to sing in front of Saul. And they were praising who? David. This began an inner conflict in the life of Saul. A man that was peaceful. A man, was, a man that was enjoying rest internally. All of a sudden, you know, he started having disturbances inside because of David. First Samuel chapter 18. I just want us to read together from verse 5. First Samuel chapter 18 from verse 5. Quickly, let's read together. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. When he was sent, he behaved wisely. Hallelujah. When you are sent, please behave wisely. And Saul sent him over the, the, the men of war and he was accepted in the spirit in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. He gained favor with people. Now it had, now it had happened as they were coming home that when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel. My goodness. Tell your neighbor trouble is coming. Singing and dancing. They were not just singing but they were also dancing. Are you seeing all these women shaking their waists? And their bambams in front of Saul to meet King Saul with tambourines in their hands, with joy, and what? With musical instruments. Wow. It was a band full of women, a musical band full of women. So the women sang as they danced and they say, Saul has slain his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. Look, if you must sing, please don't sing such a song. It's dangerous. And they're singing in front of Saul. And Saul is the king of Israel. They are ascribing to David more than what they are ascribing to Saul. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed only thousands. Wow. Now, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Keep going. Mm -hmm. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. Now something started happening to him. He started, you know, eyeing David. And this was not a good eye. Has somebody looked at you until you suspected their look? Say, this guy, the way he's looking at me. I release thunder. I release fire over that look. It's like, as they're looking at you, it's like they're casting spells on you. That's how Saul was looking at David. You know? And a distressing spirit, something started happening to Saul. A distressing spirit, you know, from God came upon Saul. Now, when you read the Old Testament language, they didn't understand the difference between evil spirits and the spirit of God. Everything was from God. Bad things were from God. Wicked things were from God. Because of their level of understanding. So this is Old Testament language. But it doesn't mean that God has a distressing spirit. Because God is holy. You understand what I'm saying? We are going to read again from the New Living Translation. You'll understand what I'm saying. Now it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand. I mean that is a contradiction. Why do you prophesy with a spear? It's because there was turmoil inside of him. He's even confused. 
He, 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 he wants to do a godly thing, but he's also torn inside. He's like a split personality. He is split inside. On the other hand, he hates this boy who is playing music to calm his demons. And he also wants to look like he's spiritual by prophesying. But also in his hand, he's holding what? A spear. If you came to your house and found your husband praying in tongues but with a knife in his hands, will you trust him? Or your wife is praying in tongues and she has a panga in her hand. I'm telling you, you will not enter that bedroom. And Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence how many times? Twice. So you can see that he was determined to destroy this boy. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Can you give us the same, you know, maybe from verse 8 there, from NLT, so that we, we, we see something here. Uh -huh. the, the very, uh, go back to verse 8. This made Saul very angry. Who is this? He said, they credit David, after the women sang, they credit David with 10,000 and me with only thousands. Next, they will be making him their king. Look at that. He knew. If all the women are to support you, you become the next president. By the way, even in this country, if all women vote for you, you become the president. True or not true? So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous, look at NLT, it says he kept a jealous eye on David. So this was not an innocent look. Yeah, this was a diabolic look. Next verse. So from the next... Uh, the very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and he began to rave in his house like a madman. Saul became like a madman. He, became, he went berserk. He became a savage in his own house, a madman in his own house. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand. Next verse, verse 11. And he suddenly hurled it at David without warning. You can tell that he really wanted to finish David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Keep going. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and turned away from Saul. So you can see that the man had money, had wealth, had opulence, all these good things in his life, but he was not able to enjoy all these things because of inner turmoil. Later on, when you leave, he even left the palace and started following David in the caves. A whole king sleeping on the ground in the caves because of inner turmoil. He left the palace. He left his comfortable, uh, comfortable bed in the palace. And he was chasing David down from one valley to another, from one cave to another because of conflict inside of him. That is not true prosperity. That's what I'm telling you. You can have wealth. You can have money. You can have power. You can have all these things. But you are still grappling with internal conflict. You are not at rest in your mind. You are not at rest in your soul. You are struggling inside. You can't sleep at night. Look at this guy. He behaved like a madman at the palace. Now, if you behave like a madman, madman at the palace, so that means you cannot rule the nation. You cannot make decisions. You cannot have cabinet meetings. You, 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 you cannot make sound decisions that are meant to propel the nation to the next level. So it's not just enough to have money. You also need to have peace of mind. You need to have tranquility inside. Can I hear an amen? May you, may you possess inner peace in the name of Jesus. May you experience internal health in Jesus' name. Can I hear a louder amen? Now, let's look at the causes of internal or inner turmoil. I have several, but today I'll just give you one or two. And then we're going to pray. Causes of inner turmoil. Because if you're not healthy inside, you will never experience a shift in your life. Number one, it is sin. Sin is the root cause of inner turmoil in our lives. For example, when you look at Adam, when he sinned, or before he sinned, Adam was at peace with himself. Adam experienced a lot of inner tranquility. He enjoyed the Garden of Eden, and everything was fine. 
The water was flowing. The animals were there. He was naming them. He was petting them. He was hanging around these animals. Then God brought him a wife. He was having a good time with his wife. I mean, life in general, in the Garden of Eden, was very peaceful, was fantastic, was nice. Everything was working very well, you know, for Adam. Until he sinned. When he sinned, turmoil and fear invaded his life. And when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, we see a sequence of this dreadful experience that Adam went through. Before the sin came, I mean, he was at peace with himself. But when sin came into his life, we see a sequence of a dreadful experience that Adam went through. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 9, verse 8 rather. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Look at that sequence. I just want to mention and break it down for you so that you understand what I'm talking about here. Before he sinned, he was at rest. God could come and fellowship with him in the cool of the day. They had wonderful fellowship together. But when sin came, something else happened to Adam and his wife. The peace, the joy, the tranquility that he enjoyed, you know, Around him and within him was lost. This is what happened. The first thing, the Bible says, their eyes were opened. That means they were aware of change. They shifted in the wrong direction. They, their eyes were opened to experience what God had shielded them from. You see, there are things that God does not want you to experience now. Talk to me, somebody. You see, for example, when God says do not lie, there is an awareness of lying that God does not want you to be exposed to. Because he knew that when you lie once, you will lie again. Everything has experience. So when you lie and then you are not caught, you have gained experience in lying. You are, you are very quiet. So you lie again. Because now you are becoming a master of lies. And then you lie again. So the more you are lying and the more you are not being caught, it reinforces the idea and the practice of lies. So you become a master liar. Alright? And when you feel like you are almost being caught, you lie to cover the lie that you lied yesterday. So you are aware of something that God does not want you to be exposed to. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You see, when God says you should not fornicate, it's because he doesn't want you to experience sex out of marriage. You're very quiet. It's not that he's against sex, but he doesn't want you to experience it out of marriage because he knows it will damage you. It will destroy you. So that by the time you get married, you don't know what else to do. This side is very quiet. Are we together? That's why you see many people who have been involved in sexual perversion, when they get married, they struggle in their marriage. There's really struggle. Me, I remember when we, I was growing up, there's, there's a boy who was boasting and telling us, you know, this week I slept with three women. It's like every week he was sleeping like three or two women, every week. And we used to look at him and wonder, how strong is this guy? Three women. Now, if that somebody gets married, because you see, when you sleep with somebody, you become one. Your soul is fragmented. So when they get married, they will be trying to look for all these women in one woman. You get what I'm saying? So their eyes were open. So God does not want you to experience some things because he knows it will, this thing, these things will damage you. He didn't want their eyes to be opened in that way. But because they seen their eyes were open. Why is the church very quiet this morning? I'm hoping, I'm, I, I hope it's not the road. Is it the message? Then number two, they were naked. God did not want them to experience this. He didn't want them to feel that they were naked because his glory had covered them and surrounded them. They lost a covering. You see, sin leaves you exposed. 
In Judges chapter 6, when the Israelites sinned, they were exposed. They were exposed to the Midianites. And the Bible says the Midianites came to torment them, fought them. And God did nothing because they were exposed. He didn't do anything. He didn't even protect them. He let the Midianites fight them. He let the Midianites destroy their produce. He let the Midianites take charge of their farms. And, and, and the Midianites drove them from their houses. They went to live in the caves because of sin. Adam and Eve, who are enjoying the covering of God's glory, all of a sudden, they felt naked. Number three, they made themselves covering to try and cover themselves because when they realized they were naked, they said, hey, we need to cover ourselves because the lions were looking at them. Elephants were looking at them. Hyenas were laughing at them. Have you heard the way hyenas laugh? So they had to look for leaves to cover themselves, to try and cover their shame, to try and cover their pain. Then the Bible says also, number four or number five, they hid themselves. Is it number four or five? Four. They hid themselves. Now, they are trying to withdraw. These are signs of a fragmented soul. They withdrew, you know, to go and hide in the midst of the trees because they feel like something is wrong. Something has changed. This is not who I am. You know, you can go through experience until you talk to yourself and tell yourself something has changed. Talk to me, somebody. You're very quiet this morning. You can do something until you say something has changed. I feel different. I wish I never did this thing. I feel different. Something has changed. Something has broken. Something has been destroyed. Something has been shattered in my life. It's like a wall has been shattered in my life. This is how they felt. That's why they were hiding themselves. They didn't have boldness. They didn't have confidence. And then the last thing, fear. God is asking Adam, where are you? He said, I heard you come, but I was afraid. Fear filled their hearts. When you look at all these reactions, their eyes being open, them being naked, them trying to cover themselves with fig leaves, hiding themselves, fear, it points to one thing, inner turmoil. Something had broken inside of them and they were trying to deal with it. Something had changed in their lives and they were trying to deal with it. In the physical, they looked okay. But internally, there was a conflict. Fear, all of a sudden, they are now afraid. Guys who are enjoying being in the Garden of Eden, guys who are enjoying fellowshipping with God in the cool of the day, all of a sudden, they don't want God. They don't want his presence. Instead of running into his presence, they were running away from the presence of God. They were stressed. Mm. They were disturbed. They were no longer joyful at the Garden of Eden. Water was flowing, but they were not joyful. The fruits on the trees were there, but they were not happy. There was still internal conflict inside of them. The animals were there. They could slaughter a gazelle and eat it. But something inside was telling them, there's something wrong. Whatever we have done, it has introduced us to something very, very wrong. It has made us be aware to something that is very, very wrong. And now they were grappling with fear. And they tried to hide because they were feeling vulnerable. They were trying to withdraw from something that they felt would judge them. The presence of God. The love of God. They were running away from the love of God. Because they felt vulnerable. They felt, they felt fear. In their hearts. Fear is terrible. Fear makes you run away from God. Fear makes you run away from the presence of God. Fear is terrible. Fear makes you never to trust in God. That's why the Bible says God has not given you the spirit of fear. When you sense fear, it has come from somewhere, somewhere else. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve, his wife, are afraid. And they say, let's try and deal with this fear. Let's try and deal with what has happened. Let's try and cover ourselves. Let's try and run away. Let's try and go and hide, you know, in the midst of the trees. And just like Adam, most of us, we try and hide. We try and hide our wounds. We try and hide our brokenness. We try and hide our internal bleeding. We hide in our jobs. We hide in money. We hide in churches. We hide in our clothes. We hide in our positions. We hide in alcohol, drugs, 
and even immorality. But let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, true healing begins when we turn to God in repentance. True healing for our brokenness. What can stop our internal bleeding is when we run to God instead of running away from God. We must fall at the foot of the cross and plead for mercy and grace for God to forgive us. Look at your neighbor and tell them you can't keep on running and hiding. <clears throat> tell them one more time, you can't keep on running and hiding. It is time for you to run to God. It is time for you to run to the foot of the cross. It is time for you to run to the mercy seat and ask God to have mercy on you as well. We must come out of our hiding and recognize that we are bleeding, we are broken, we are fearful, we are disturbed inside. There is an internal conflict inside of us and we must come to God and open our hearts to God and tell God, deal with this thing. I am broken. I am bleeding. I am so afraid. I can't sleep well at night. I'm stressed. I'm almost experiencing a nervous breakdown because of the internal conflict that I'm grappling with on a day-to-day -day basis. Jesus, help me. Oh, God, help me. Sort this thing out in my life because I need to enjoy peace like everybody else. Look, when people go to sleep, not everybody sleeps. There are people who toss the whole night. They can't sleep. And if they sleep, it's only two hours or three hours. And even when they sleep, the dreams they have, they wish they never slept. Terrible dreams. They wake up, they're sweating. They wake up, they're afraid because of what they have seen in their dreams. We need to run to the cross. We need to run to Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace. If you're here, you're experiencing inner turmoil, may the Prince of Peace invade your life this morning in the name of Jesus. Stop running. Stop hiding. Money can't deal with your internal wounds. Running away will not sort out the problem. It is time to run into the presence of God. Instead of trying to cover yourself with fig leaves and trying to hide among trees, it is time for you to run to the presence of God. Run to God. Don't run away from God. Run to God. Run to Jesus. Run to the, uh, to the mercy seat where you may be able to obtain forgiveness and mercy to help you in time of need. Can I get an amen? amen. Tell your neighbor, stop hiding. Tell them one more time, stop hiding. Number two. Another cause for inner turmoil is personal decisions. Everyone here has critical points in their lives that you must make decisions. The moment you are 18, stop blaming your parents. From that point onwards, it's your decisions that will determine your life. You are 45 and you're still blaming your father. 50, you're still blaming your father. 60, you're still blaming your mother. The moment you hit 18, that's why they give you an ID. And please keep your ID, don't lose it. <laughs> it's costly to get another ID. It's because even the government recognizes that now you can make decisions. So at every stage of your life, you need to know that you have critical points, that you must make the right decision that will impact your life positively. The decisions you make will determine the shift you'll experience in your life. If you make great decisions, you will have significant positive shifts in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So our personal decisions can also plunge us to inner turmoil. The decisions that we make about our career, about our health, about relationships, about who to marry, about which church to attend. Even getting saved is a decision that you must make. And if you don't make that decision, I'm telling you, you might find yourself grappling with inner turmoil in your life. So the decisions that we make must be good decisions. They must be great decisions. Because if they are not, then those decisions are going to plunge us in, in a place where we are going to experience inner turmoil. 
And many of us, we always want people to make decisions for us. You see, as a pastor, when you come to me for counseling, I'll never make a decision for you. I will give you options. Then let you make a decision by yourself. You see, the first time God made decisions for human beings, or the first person that God made a decision for and brought him a wife, when things didn't work out, that person blamed God. He said, it's the woman you gave me. I was okay until you brought this woman in my life. So God, you are the one to be blamed. Since that day, God stopped giving people wives. He said that he who finds a wife. <laughs> finds what? Who is doing the finding? It is you. It is you to find a good wife. He has shown you who a good wife is. Now it's for you to choose. God will never choose a wife for you. You know, there are people who make this choosing of wives very mystical. I was in my room. I heard a voice behind me telling me as you're getting out of the supermarket, you will see a lady dressed in... <laughs> indigo dress. That's the one. No. God has shown you who a good wife is. That's why the Bible says, he who finds a wife, not he who finds a girlfriend. Not if he, he who finds a girl or a beautiful girl. He said, he who finds a wife. So even the woman must mutate and become a wife to be found. You're not understanding what I'm preaching this morning. Having lips is not being a wife. It is more than lips. Having hips is not being a wife. But they are important. But it's not being a wife. Wearing high heels is not being a wife. They are qualities of a wife. So the lady must become a wife. And then the man must look. And after looking, he must find. If he doesn't find, he should keep looking. And stop blaming God that there are not ladies in the church. The ladies are there. It is you who is blind. Somebody say kabosh. <laughs> so you must make decisions. Tell your neighbor you must make decisions. Tell them one more time you must make decisions. And the decisions that you make will determine your shift as an individual. There's a gentleman by the name Lot. He was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham adopted him because the father died. So Abraham became like a father figure in his life. And this man became blessed because of his connection to Abraham. Abraham was so blessed. So everything that was connected to him, everyone that was connected to him was also blessed. So Lot decided to follow Abraham. And when he followed Abraham, he prospered. He was so blessed until the land, the Bible says the land could not contain their prosperity. And then it was time for Lot to make a decision. And Abraham told Lot, I want you to make a decision. I will not make the decision. I want you to make a decision. Look, we are so blessed. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And Lot made a poor decision. He chose to go and live near Sodom and disconnected himself from Abraham. In Genesis chapter 13, I want us to read quickly from verse 10. Genesis chapter 13 from verse 10. The Bible says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the, of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zohar. Then Lot chose. Somebody shout, chose. What is that? That's a decision. He sees this land is fertile, but it is bordering a very sinful city. But he still chose to go there. Not all that glitters is gold. But he still chose to go there. So he was driven by greed and lust. He didn't make a wise decision. He didn't think about the influence from the city of Sodom to his family. 
So he chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lord journeyed east and they separated. That is the saddest statement in this verse. They separated. How can you separate from someone who has been the source of your blessings? You knew nothing. You were a small boy. He picked you, raised you, and through your connection to him, you became rich. How do you disconnect from such a person? If I'm Lord, I'll tell Abraham, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, you'll judge. These servants that are fighting, they don't know where we started from, me and you. You are my father. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You are my father. I cannot lose my connection with you because all that I have is because of the connection I have with you. But here the Bible says they separated from each other. Look at verse 12. When they separated from each other, verse 12, Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent. Look at even where he's building his house. This is another decision he's making. He pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. He went so near. It's like somebody putting his finger next to the flame of fire and say, I am not even burning. It is not even hot. Verse 13, he's still making decisions. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. He goes, he leaves a righteous man called Abraham to go and live with very wicked people. People, men in Sodom. And the Lord said, look, now verse 14, God decides to speak, but he does not speak to Lot. He speaks to Abraham. And the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now. Look at this. This is very powerful. Are you ready for this, somebody? Oh, he's like, you're not ready for this. Are you ready for this? God tells Abraham, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Where? Northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Verse 15. For all the land which you see, including the land that Lord has chosen, That's why he said you are not ready for this. God is telling him everything that you can see is yours. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. Is that somebody to separate from? Because he can come where you are living and say where is my rent? It is true. God told him I've given you everything as far as your eyes can see. Next verse. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. So Lord makes a bad move. He makes a bad decision to go and live next to Sodom. Now when he went to live next to Sodom, after a while, he started reaping the consequences of his decisions. Genesis chapter 14 verse 12. From verse 1 chapter 14, there was war. Some kings started fighting. And the, and, the king, and the king of Sodom was involved in the war. Now remember, Lot was not fighting. He was just there living. He had pitched his tent next to Sodom. He's just enjoying his life. But this king started fighting. And when they started fighting, the king of Sodom lost the battle. Because it was a foolish battle for him to join. He lost the battles. Because four kings were fighting five kings. And the Bible says, verse 12, then they took captive of the king of Sodom. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods. And they did what? And they departed. He was taken as a captive. This guy, by separating himself from Abraham, and I will show you later how it was a mistake. By separating himself from Abraham, first of all, he became defenseless. Because he didn't even have an army to, def to defend himself. He became a classic example of collateral damage. A civilian casualty of a military operation between two warring nations. And so he was not involved in the war. He didn't start the war. He didn't want to fight. He didn't have the military hardware to be able to fight. But because he made a choice to be so close to Sodom, he was also taken captive when the king of Sodom was defeated. It took Abraham's intervention. He marshaled his army. You see, Abraham even had an army, my friend. That is not somebody you separate yourself from. 
He had an army. He sent his army to go and fight those kings. And he delivered Lot from their hand. Who is Lot? He doesn't even learn. He still goes back to live there. Stays there. He's still making very wrong decisions. And the wickedness that was in Sodom started infiltrating his house. The decision to live next to Sodom exposed his family to wickedness. Remember the Bible said that the men of Sodom were so wicked that one time when an angel came to visit Lot because the angel was coming to destroy Sodom and Abraham had interceded. You see, God told Abraham, I am going to destroy Sodom. And the reason why he told him that is because he wanted him to save Lot. And Abraham started praying for Lot because he knew that Lot lives in the region of Sodom. And started praying and interceding. And so when the angel was sent to destroy, that's why I love prayer. Prayer is powerful, my friend. When the angel was going to destroy Sodom, the first stop was Lot's house. Because the angel had to obey, oh my goodness, the prayer of Abraham. Because when we pray, God moves. When we pray, God responds. Nobody should lie to you that prayer never works. Prayer is powerful. Every time we come to pray, wake up in the morning to pray, come here on Tuesday to pray, when we are having a prayer marathon and we are praying, I want you to know it is not a waste of time, it is not a waste of breath, it is not a waste of energy. God answers prayer. God responds to prayer. Shout amen if you believe in this house. And the angel went to Lord to save him before he destroyed Sodom. And when the angel was there, it was a theophany, God's appearance in the form of man. The man heard that Lord had been visited by some very handsome men because God is handsome. You see, even when God appears in the form of man, he appears as a very handsome man. Yes. You don't believe me. Because if he comes in an ugly form, you will think he's the devil. And the man came and knocked at Lot's house and said, hey, we have heard that there are men here. We want to rape them. They didn't even say we want to sleep with them. We want to rape them. Bring these men out. We want to rape them. These are men wanting to rape other men. L-G-B-T-Q+. I think they have added another alphabet as well. I. They wanted to sleep with them. And Lot, because he's wicked, look at what wickedness can do. Because he's so wicked, he stands at the door and he tells this man, please, don't hurt my visitors. I have two daughters. I am willing to give you my daughters that you may rap them. What kind of a father gives his own daughters to be raped by men? I think the father should protect the daughters. That's my thinking, isn't it? But because wickedness had infiltrated his life, infiltrated his family, infiltrated, you know, his, his, his mind, he didn't think of protecting his children. He thought of exposing them to wickedness. Of course, you know the story, the angels were not very happy. They struck this man and they told, Lord, tell your family, tell your in-laws, tell your daughters, Tell anybody you know that is connected to this family to leave immediately because we are destroying this city. Their wickedness has reached heaven. And Lord is trying to talk to his family members. They think he's joking. Even him is dragging his feet. You see, he was so wished to wickedness that he didn't think that God can destroy a city. The angel had to grab Lord, grab his daughters, grab his wife, and drag them out of Sodom. And tell them, escape and go to the mountains. The guy said, I don't even want to go to the mountains. I want to go to Zor. He's even giving angels options where to go. Please. <laughs> the angel is saying, escape for you. Wherever you go, that's up to you. Cut the long story short. He runs. He runs with his wife. With the two daughters. But you can see wickedness is still with them. The angel has said, don't look back. The wife. He can't, she can't believe she's leaving Sodom. She said, let me just take one more look. 
to say a real bye-bye. When she turned, she became a pillar of salt. And Lot ran with the daughters. Look, when Lot was going to settle around Sodom, he was rich. He had livestock. He had all these things. But because of his bad decision, by the time he was leaving this area, he had only two of his children. No cattle, no sheep, nothing. The guy is poor. One more time. Because of a decision that he made. Anyway, he flees and he goes into the mountains. And when he goes to the mountains, you can see that wickedness has gone with him to the mountains. The daughters look at him. And they decide, no, 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 no. We have to do something. They make alcohol. That's why I tell you, stop drinking. Tell your neighbor, I'm telling you for the last time. Stop drinking in Jesus' name. The ones who are not talking to your neighbors, are you the drunkards? Turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, neighbor, you, I'm telling you for the last time. Stop drinking. They made alcohol and they made their father. These are two daughters. They made their father drink alcohol. You can see wickedness is now in the family. And when the father was drunk, one of the daughters went and slept with the father. And they knew when to sleep with the father because a woman knows when she will be pregnant. Look, if you see a girl hanging around you and she's not your wife and she's very nice and she's very loving, mm. <laughs> be very careful. It is not love, it's ovulation. The body. Please, men, clap at me. Clap, clap, clap. Thank you. They knew. We don't need to sleep with him twice. Only one. Only once. And they knew when. So the first one slept with the father. Can you imagine sleeping with your father? Then they did it again. The father was drunk. Then they slept, you know, with the father again. The second one slept with the father again. And they became pregnant. I mean, when you are sober as a father, how do you live with that? How do these children call you? Do they call you father or grandfather? Can you imagine the turmoil in Lot's life? My, my, my father or my husband? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's very confusing. It's very confusing because of a decision that he made. A poor decision. That he made. And these two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites, which came from this incest, became a thorn in the flesh in the Israelites' life. It disturbed Israelites a lot because this was a seed of incest because of a decision, a bad decision that was made by a man. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how Lot lived. From that point onwards, it must have been very difficult for him. When you become sober and you're told what happened, how do you live with that? That your own children, your own daughter seduced you and slept with you. How do you live with that decision? It's because he made a decision that contributed to all these things. Then there's another man called the prodigal son. He also made a bad decision to leave his father. And when he made this decision, he lost everything. He lost his money. He lost his inheritance. But I thank God for one thing. He decided to make another good decision to cancel the wrong decision. So, it doesn't matter how many wrong decisions you have made. You can make another decision to cancel wrong decisions that you have made in life. Can I hear an amen in this house? Look at your neighbor and tell them, one decision can cancel three wrong decisions. Oh, yes. He made a decision. And he said, I'm going back. I've realized my mistake. I'm going back to my father. And he went back to his father. And the Bible says, let me just read this quickly as we finish. Luke chapter 15. Verse 20. It's the last scripture and then we pray. Luke chapter 15. And he arose and came to his father. He made a decision. He said, I'm going back. 
I made a wrong decision. I've wasted my inheritance. I have let down my father. I've wasted opportunities. But I'm making another decision. It is not late to make the right decision. He made another decision. He chose. He arose. And he came to his father. But when he was still a great far off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. Verse 20. And the son said to his father, he's talking. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to the servant. You see, the father did not even answer him. Because the father knew this guy has learned his lesson. And by him coming back, it is a sign of remorse. Oh, I wish I had a witness in this house. He didn't need any more explanations. By seeing his son coming back home and saying all these things, he knew this guy has learned his lesson. This guy is broken. Do you know, prior to this decision, this guy was having a lot of internal conflict because he was born in a rich family. His father, because he even said, you can see there was an internal conflict inside. He said, I, I can see my, the servants my father has hired. I can see the home. I can see the opulence. I can see the wealth. I can see the food. I can see the clothes. I can see all these things. But when I look at myself, I'm hanging around pigs. Pigs have become my companion. Then he got to a place saying, no, 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 no. I cannot continue like this. And he made a decision to go back home. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Someone said they're the best robe. Even his clothes were changed. Put it on him and put a ring, a, a ring on his hand. A ring represents authority. And sandals on his feet to protect him so that he can maintain forward movement. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine, he was dead. <laughs> Look, it is true, he was dead. If you keep on eating with pigs, you will die. You will get an infection. You will die. Pigs are dirty. I don't even know why we eat sausage. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Simply because... He made a decision to cancel every bad decision that he made in his life. Are you here? You've made bad decisions that have contributed to your inner turmoil. Now you're full of regrets, anger. You don't like yourself. You don't love yourself because of the decisions you made. You're broken inside. You're bleeding inside. Look, it is not late. It is not too late. You can make another decision. You can turn your life around. You can change the fortunes of your life. You can determine the direction of your life from this point forward. Can I hear an amen in this house? You can make one decision that can erase all the bad decisions that you have made in the past. Tell your neighbor it's never too late. Tell them again it's never too late. Don't be like Lot. Be like the prodigal son. You can make a great decision that can revolutionize your life. Amen. I pray today that you make a great decision in your life. I pray today that you make good decisions in your life. From this point forward, you make decisions that will propel your life to the next level. Decisions that will unlock positive shift in your life. Can I hear louder? Amen. I prophesy in the next five years, your life will be different. Because of good decisions that you're going to make. The next two years, your family will be different. Your finances will be different. Your health will be different. Your relationship will be different. Your entire life will be different because you're going to make great decisions in Jesus' name. Clap your hands and give God a mighty shout in this house. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazo Tachero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.